Welcome to another episode of Tequila She Wrote, a podcast about cocktails and crime. I'm Trish, your bartender for today. And I'm Sloan, your crime tender for today. So grab a cocktail and buckle up for the Hot Mess Express. Toot toot! Beep beep! recipe is just a way to spice up your morning coffee routine using cold brew coffee. Uh, We did a bourbon cream, which the one that we could find here was Jim Beam, but there are multiple other bourbon creams that you can find. Whichever is cheapest or easiest for you to find will work just fine. We did four ounces of the bourbon cream and then two ounces of your preferred cold brew coffee. The one that we used was the Stoke, but again, whichever one you choose. And then you just pour that all over ice. You don't have to worry about shaking it. You can just mix it in your glass yourself, give it a little swirl, and enjoy. And it is the perfect way to start out your day, give yourself a little pick-me-up during the middle of your day, or just end your night. And we hope you enjoy. All right, today I am the crime tender, and we are going to talk about serial killers, Judith and Alvin Neely. It's kind of questionable whether or not they're serial killers based on the amount of people that they killed, but regardless, they're really bad people. So, Alvin is the older of the two. Let's talk about him for a little bit. He was born in 1953 in Georgia. His favorite hobby as a teen was stealing cars. So as you can tell, we are heading in a good direction. He married his first wife after he dropped out of high school. But they had three, no, not but, they had three kids together. And then he met Judith when he was 26. Judith was 15 at the time. (laughs) What? (laughs) Alvin was 26. What time was this? Um, like 1979. Okay, so like before it was really looked down upon, I guess. But uh, if that's how you want to put that, then yes. What? That's an 11 year age difference. Yeah. Yes. Oh my god, what do you have in common? She's still a teenager going through. He thought she was hot. I don't know. I don't know. So they met and then he left his first wife and they eloped. uh, Alvin and Judith eloped in 1980 when Judith was 16 years old. So he's got a thing for teens. Clearly. (laughs) A little bit about Judith. A.K.A. Judith Ann Adams. She was born in Murphy. Murfreesboro, Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I know where that is. It's right outside of Nashville. The next part of my notes, exactly, because I had to look that up, and she knew it off the top of her head. It's where Chris Young's from. Oh, okay, that explains some things. My sister and brother live like right there. That's why. Right. 
Um, she was born on June 7th, 1964. Her father was an alcoholic. Uh, it was rumored that he abused them, of course, and he died in a motorcycle accident when Judith was nine. Once they were married, Judith joined Alvin in a life of crime. They would travel the country committing armed robberies, even when Judith was pregnant, like eight, nine months pregnant. They would go into places and rob them. Jeez. It's like Bonnie and Clyde. Is that was, that was so, kind of <laughs> But the uh I don't know, trailer park version. That was kind of, <laughs> that was kind of their goal, to be honest, was to be Bonnie and Clyde. So you're right there on the money. Um, but the reason that they got caught with the armed robberies is because Judith was pregnant and yeah, committing little, armed robberies. That's it's a little of a telltale sign. Yeah. Yes. So they got caught and she gave birth to her twins while incarcerated in Rome, Georgia's Youth Development Center. Jesus. On September 11th. Uh, so just to skip forward a little bit because there's not a whole lot of information about Jude Judith's time at the Youth Detention Center. Just kind of after she gets out. So, um, on September 11th, 1982, Ken Dooley, a youth development center employee, was shot at four times. The next day, Linda Adair, another employee of the youth development center, her home was firebombed. Oh. Uh, phone calls were made to the victims following attacks by a female who claimed to have been sexually abused at the youth detention center, but neither of the victims could identify the caller's voice. So, at this point, it's assumed that it was Judith because... Yeah. Out of the two, that's the female. I mean, not just that, but out of the people that had gotten out of the youth detention center as of recently, like, she was kind of the most troublesome, I guess. Like, you know, it, it just kind of fell upon her that that's where both of the victims pointed their fingers to and yeah. other people in the youth detention center. So, almost two weeks after these incidents, Alvin and Judy are in Rome, Georgia, strolling through the Riverbend Mall, just being creeps, when they spotted 13-year-old Lisa Ann Milliken in the mall's arcade. And I'm going to go ahead and put a uh, trigger warning out here. If you cannot listen to crimes against children, this is a good place to kind of skip forward because things get... Really, really rough from here. Oh, no. Uh, so they found her in the mall's arcade. This wasn't their first time in the mall, but it was the first time that their crimes escalated past theft for whatever reason. Was it that day? Was it something that had happened with them? Was it what least like, yeah. was it Lisa herself? Only two people or one of the two people know the answer to that question. And unfortunately, we are not in on the answer to that question. Um, but I do want to tell you a little bit about Lisa because she was a very special 13-year-old. I mean, she didn't deserve to lose her life by any means. And we all yeah. know where this is going. So Lisa was born on March 18, 1969 in Cedartown, Georgia. She was at the mall with other residents of the Ethel Harps home which is also now a children's hospital in the same, in Rome, Georgia. So like 
I read a lot of information on the hospital itself, but there was not really information about this home at the time. Because once again, we're talking about like the late 1970s, the early 1980s. Yes. And they made the children's hospital, I want to say in the early 90s. So whenever you research this on the internet, the only thing that really comes up is the children's hospital. But regardless, it's a phenomenal story. So if you are interested, feel free to Google it. It's great to listen to. I just didn't want to waste time on something that wasn't actually pertinent to this story. Yeah. Um, But what I could find about this home was that it was a facility for neglected and abused girls and boys. I cannot, once again, find specific information on Lisa and why she was in this home. And we'll kind of circle back to that later once we finish talking about Lisa um, as to why there's not a lot of information about her out there. But we do know that it was a home for neglected and abused girls and boys, basically a foster home. Yeah. And she somehow ended up separated from the group when Alvin and Judith coerced her to leave with them from the mall. They drove her one and a half hours away to Scottsboro, Alabama, to a motel. Of course it goes on to Alabama. Which is how I ended up with this case. Yes. So, they drink for that. Exactly. Same. <laughs> Cheers. Um, oh, they drove to a motel where they tortured and raped her for three days before they finally killed her. Oh, my God. And whenever I say they, I do mean they. It was equal parts hers and his. It wasn't just him raping this 13 year old girl it was a couple activity and at times it was just judith committing the acts as well and at some point in the future not her first attorneys but like some of her attorneys that um want her like are helping her with parole later on Mm -hmm. will try to say that she didn't have any part in it other than trying to get lisa to leave with them but there was a lot of evidence that proved otherwise that she was just as active in the murder and the raping and all of that as Alvin. How a woman could do that to a child. I don't know. I I'm not even like, you not even really having like maternal (laughs) instincts. That's where I was going with that is that I don't want to have children, but also like, I do not wish ill harm on children. I would not by any means. No. I, I could never fathom doing what this what this person did. She's not a lady. She's not a woman. She's... And to be fair, we also need to consider that at this point, she's what, 16, 17 years old? Yeah. So because like, by the time she's arrested, she's only 18, about 19. Oh, my God. So, so yes, this is absolutely... This is like, basically, a child raping another child yes because her husband is telling her to who is 10 years older than her so there's a lot going wrong great human beings yeah yes so there is the question of like if judith ended up with somebody else if she had a better upbringing blah 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 would this have actually happened but she did what she did at the same time so leave that at that 
Um, on, so they kidnapped her on September 25th. On September 28th, Lisa finally actually passed away. So she suffered for three days through whatever torture Alvin and Judith wanted to, to subject her to. Mm. Um, Judith injected Lisa with Drano. First into one side and then later on to both sides of her neck, uh, both side of her neck. And then she moved on to both arms. And then she also shot Drano into her ass in an attempt to poison her to death. And in the autopsy, it also showed that Drano and liquid plumber was used. So they really were not loyal to any brand. They just wanted this young girl dead. So they wouldn't get in trouble or whatever their reason was. When the painful poisoning failed to kill her, Judith shot Lisa in the back execution style. Oh my God. So from my understanding, she made this 13 year old girl who she is four to five years older than get down on her knees. And then she went behind her. She couldn't even look her in the face whenever she did this. Yeah. And then she shot her. Jesus. So. Take a shot. Take a drink. I'm glad I got a second. Jeez. <laughs> I, when I was researching this, it was a night that I was trying really hard not to drink. And I was reading this and I had to fix myself two drinks on separate occasions because I was like, this is just... More than I can emotionally bear at this point right now. My delicate, sensitive heart. Which is funny if you know me. Because I kind of got a black soul. <laughs> <laughs> but still, point taken. This case is really, really rough. I did put a trigger warning out there fairly early for a reason. Usually I am not bothered by cases like this. But this one really, really got to me. Jeez. Um, so after Lisa was shot and killed, they took her to Little River Canyon in Fort Payne, Alabama, and threw her body over a cliff. Fort Payne? Where is that? Um, we're talking up by kind of like Montgomery and Huntsville. I was to say, that's gotta be towards the top of the state. I mean, y yes, because kind of. we are talking cliffs, and yeah. we don't have cliffs down here <laughs> in southern saying, Alabama. It's not till you get to like closer to the top, like the Tennessee, like Maybe area. Birmingham. Almost. Yeah, I was yeah. Say, it's not Birmingham's you... the beginning of it, in my opinion. That's where you see the beautiful, like rolling hills and stuff that everybody's like picturesque. Down here, you get. I Swamp. also, <laughs> speaking of Fort Payne, I already have one of my future stories takes place in Fort Payne. Huntsville, Alabama and Fort Payne, Alabama is Huntsville like... Huntsville is just... It's crazy. How anybody makes it out of there alive is is a mystery to me. So we're going to get to a lot of ways that come out of Huntsville. But we have already been asked if we we're taking a request for case. And yes, if you want to leave us a request, comment on our social media, direct message us. Leave it in a review on Apple. We don't care. Let us know what you want to hear. Um, but we do have a long list of cases that we both want to cover as well. So I have the case that I'm referring to right now is the um, death of Chad Langford in Fort Payne, Alabama. So 
that is on the way. If that's something that y'all wanted to hear, it's coming for sure. So back to the current story. Um, they threw her body over the cliff in the canyon. And then Judith proceeded to call various police agencies several times to report the location of Lisa's body. And they finally found her body draped over a fallen tree. Oh, my God. One, you're going to call multiple times. And then to report yourself. Yeah, to report yourself. And then, like, I would not want to be the person that discovered that. That, it's like one of my worst nightmares. Like, I always joke, like, what would you do if you're out, like, walking the dogs and stumbling across something? But, like, to see in a tree, no. No. It's never a bot. It's never a mannequin. It's never a mannequin, as Ashley Flowers and then, like, say, on Crime Junkie. is never a mannequin. Yes. To wrap up our Lisa segment, I want to address um, Lisa's law, which is a law in the state of Alabama that her family really pushed for, um, which essentially says that, you know, the people that are prosecuted of Lisa's death are not able to make a profit off of the story. It's not even just Lisa's death. Well, this is what it was. That's what it started from. Yeah. So the general term is like, I mean, the general law is that criminals cannot profit from their crimes that they've committed through podcast, (laughs) through investigation, discovery, documentaries, things like that. Um, But really, Lisa's family just kind of asks for us all to respect her and her death. And respect their family and respect their peace. So um, there is not a lot of information out there about Lisa or the actual like crimes that this couple committed because there was so much yeah from the family, so much backlash from the family. Which just hearing that little bit is definitely understandable. Oh, 1,000% understandable. Do not blame them. Very interesting story, but that I could not find a lot of details because of what the family has requested people in the news to do. And I am actually surprised to say that I'm pleased that people have pretty much listened. Yeah. I mean, there's the there are these details out here that I've given you, but if this is what they've released, like, I can't imagine what the worst What's is. What's held back. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, the next crime that they committed was, there was a young couple, Janice Chapman and John Hancock. They were a young en- engaged couple from Rome, just out and about, enjoying themselves And on October 4th, 1982, Judith abducted them. For some reason, there is no information on the couple's part of all of this. And I have my theories that we can come back to whenever we talk about sentencing and arrest and all of that. But for now, we just know that Judith abducted them and the the male fiance was shot 
and then they abducted Janice and brought her back to the Neely's motel room where she was tortured and murdered. Hancock survived the shooting. The fiance survived the shooting and was able to identify the Neelys as his assailants. And this is essentially what brought them down. So after they committed this crime in Rome, they went back to Tennessee, back to Judith's home. They were followed by Detective Kenneth Kynes for about three weeks before he finally arrested Judith on October 9th, 1982 for fraudulent check charges. I was going to say, three weeks? Like, what was the holdup? I mean, they had information, but they were looking for more... Anything or something? I mean, this is... Once again, we're talking about early 1980s. There was no DNA. There was barely fingerprint evidence. So, yeah, everything was kind of based by word of mouth at this point. So, they needed for one of them to either slip up and commit a crime while they're watching them, or they needed for one of them to fess up, which is exactly what happened. Judith committed a crime. She was writing bad checks, and so she was arrested on the bad check charges. And they got her in in there, and it took them an extra three days past that point to arrest Alvin. So, in that time, they kind of were working over Judith. Like, hey, we already have you. This is what we know. We need you to rat out Alvin so you get a better deal. Um, Alvin, in the meantime, did obtain a lawyer for his wife on October 12th for the forged check charges in Tennessee. The lawyer was Bill Burton. He had been her family's lawyer for years, but this was his first time encountering Judith specifically. Like, from what I read, he had he had been the lawyer for his, her mother, her father, aunts, uncles, cousins, grandmother, grandfather. Like, her family needed a lot of help. So, geez. Alvin brought him in. And he represented Judith at her preliminary hearing for the forged checks. And then, bottom line, he never got to see her again after that. Great. That evening, two FBI agents pulled her back into interrogation for five and a half hours. From here, as far as the whole lawyer thing goes, it's a he said, she said sort of situation. Um, the cops say that she never asked for her lawyer. The, uh, she says that she asked for the lawyer at the very beginning and the cops were like, why do you need a lawyer? This is a very routine question sort of thing. Like it's nothing big. Early 80s. You don't need a lawyer. Don't take care of yourself. Just trust us. We'll take care of you. And so she didn't ask for a lawyer again after that. So that's where they were able to get away with the she never asked for a lawyer defense. And then meanwhile, her lawyer is on the outside trying to get in to see her. And the FBI agents literally told him, we aren't letting you in until she asks for you specifically. If she doesn't know about him, though, really, she can't specifically asked for him other than saying I mean she I want knew a lawyer. she knew about him from the preliminary hearing that her husband had hired okay. him and all that stuff remember yeah but I mean you are right like she didn't know that he was there to help her 
And she was also told, hey, this is not a big deal. So, like, yeah, don't worry about it. So, she didn't worry about it. And then by the time that she started worrying about it, it was too late. I'm not defending her by any means. I'm just saying that she did not get the counsel that she is guaranteed yeah. by this country. I don't stand by her in any other ways other than she other did than, ask. Yes. And he was there. But they still like... The crime junkie in me is going, she asked for a lawyer whether she's guilty or not, which clearly she's guilty. You still give her her lawyer. Yes. Yes. So... <clears throat> I got sidetracked on that. <laughs> we went on a rant. It's a rant. Couldn't go in until she asked for him. The FBI agents also informed Burton at this point that they weren't here for the forged checks, but they were actually there for a murder. And Burton was shocked. <laughs> you know, like, he's called by the husband. He's like, my wife was arrested on bad check fraud he goes in he's like i'm here for the bad check fraud and they're like nah bro if you're here you're here for at least a triple murder that'd be like us telling raymond hey <laughs> i need you for this real estate thing it's like jokes on you i actually killed somebody <laughs> yeah he's a real estate lawyer so like that's not his expertise is the point of that he wants to, you know, he would just, you know. Wing it. Wing it! <laughs> if he had to defend us from murder. I said, I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> yeah. So, at this point, Judith confesses to pretty much everything to the FBI agents. She made a statement to the FBI in Tennessee. And again, when she arrived in Alabama, both proclaiming her that they were guilty. Um, at this point, the, the detectives assume slash deduce that Judith is guilty for the youth detention center shenanigans. The guy being lit on fire, the prank phone calls, and all that stuff. Um, Alvin, being the good old piece of shit that he is, made it, took the plea deal in Georgia to avoid the death penalty in Alabama. Of course he did. He pleaded guilty to murder and aggravated assault and was sentenced to life in prison. So, like, Piece of shit, you know. <laughs> Coward. Same difference. I mean, we're saying all of this, but you'll understand why we're saying this here in a second. Because some of you might be like, woohoo, that's great, right? Like, he was convicted, he has life sentence, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, because he pleaded guilty in Georgia, he was not able to be tried in Alabama for Lisa's gruesome murder of either. Of course he couldn't. So her family never got closure from Alvin over that. Even though she was from Georgia. And that's, if you are a foreign listener, that's one of the fucked up things in our country is that... State lines... State lines matter, uh, but they don't matter. So, in this instance, they matter. So, because... When it comes to the law... The murder happened in Alabama, and even though she was born and raised and abducted in Georgia, Georgia cannot try her for that crime. I mean, I might be wrong there. They might be able to try her for the kidnapping part of it, 
but the murder part has to be tried in Alabama. And so, then depending yeah, on how good your nothing. defense lawyer is and whatnot, like maybe your defense lawyer could have the kidnapping part thrown out. Like that happened in another in a different state. You can't prove that. You can't talk about that here. So that is one very frustrating fucked up thing about our justice system here is that even though he kidnapped abducted raped tortured and murdered this girl terrible things to this girl because half of it was in a different state he was able to avoid even discussing that in a court by pleading out to the state of georgia jesus anyways back to justice Alvin was incarcerated at the Bostick State Prison from 1983 until his death in October 2005. So there's that at least. He was incarcerated for almost 30 years. Moving on to Judith. She was tried in Fort Payne, Alabama on March 7th, 1983. Almost five months to to the date from when she was arrested in Tennessee. Judith was tried for the torture and murder of Lisa, unlike Alvin. Before her trial, she gave birth to her third child. Once again, she was in jail when she gave birth to her child. So three out of three children are born in jail at this point. Cue the eye rolls, because I definitely did. (sighs) The trial lasted six months, and Judith was convicted in Lisa's case. The jury recommended life in prison, but the judge, Randall Cole, sentenced then 18-year-old to the electric chair. So, while we're hating on Judith, I do want us all to remember that she's 18. I know we talked about that a few times. Yes, I did address that a few different times throughout this. But also, once you read through all of the gruesome things and the sentencing, the arresting and the sentencing, like, you forget she's only 18 at this point. Mm -hmm. So, she met Alvin three years ago. Started committing crime about two and a half years ago committed murder about a year ago like things definitely escalated quickly for her and that's why in the future some of her attorneys do try to say that she was under Alvin's persuasion to do these things Yeah. and I don't know about y'all but I was real freaking dumb at 18, 15, 16, 17, 18 I I had one of the worst boyfriends in high school and I would have like I probably would have committed murder for him too so Who am I to say that this girl is dumb for what she's doing, but also she's dumb for what she's doing. I mean, I grew up in like one of those little small towns where everybody knew everybody's business. So like until I got to college, I was definitely one of those (laughs) young, dumb, naive little country girls and quickly had to become a city girl. (laughs) I feel that growing up in (laughs) little podunk Louisville and then going to Cincinnati, Ohio, where when I was there, they literally, there was one street that from the college to go downtown, it's called Vine Street. It has since been cleaned up, but when I went there, literally they would tell you if you went at night, just pause at red lights till you got till to downtown. (laughs) <laughs> so, oh. <laughs> I I didn't grow up with that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. 
like I said, now that now when you go, Vine Street is actually a very like it's become a little posh part of Cincinnati. That there's a bunch of nice little restaurants and like hipster bars and stuff. So it's a very different <laughs> atmosphere from when I went. Sounds about right. Um, after after her trial over Lisa, she decided Judith decided to plead guilty to Janice Chapman's murder in Georgia. I mean, what does she have to hide at this point? I say at this point, <laughs> like you're already caught, caught. So what do you have to hide? Also, at 18, Judith was the youngest woman sentenced to death in U.S. history. So, way to go, Alabama. Proud to be an Alabamian. I'm an Ohioan. I mean, I'm from Mississippi, <laughs> but it ain't much better. It ain't much better there. Uh, she was placed on Alabama's death row at the Julia... Tutwiler prison for women she appealed for a new trial but it was denied in march 1987 in 1989 the u.s supreme court affirmed her death sentence which makes a future thing here in a little bit very very interesting um not even in a little bit here it is right here on January 15th, 1999, Judith was days away from her execution date when Governor Fob James commuted her sentence to life in prison with a possibility of parole in another 15 years. Thus, she would have spent a minimum of 31 years in prison. So she went from being on death's door to, hey, you could be a free bitch in 15 years. Which. Thank you, Governor of Alabama. Yeah. Ivy was bad. We have said like death sentence is a quick, easy fix, and it doesn't really guarantee closure. But I feel like a death sentence is favorable over the fact that these people can possibly get out. Yes, I'd rather you just spend the rest of your life. Like life in, in prison cell. is a worse sentence than an execution by any means. And also we learn later on that a lot of people that are sentenced to death are actually like set up and whatnot. So it's a very fickle line, but there are some people that are just pure evil. Yep. Pure evil. All right. And then, uh, governor James decision was met with controversy, but, it was really met with controversy because he was long known for his tough position on crime, quote unquote. But he cited the jury's recommendation recommendation for Judith's sentencing, and that was a life in prison with no chance of parole. Oh, yeah. But you sentence her to a life in prison with chance of parole in 15 years. So, no, you didn't stick to your original values, nor did you stick to the jury's original values either. So, like, you're literally just full of shit at this point. I said what I said. <laughs> said what I said. In 2003, though, the Alabama legislator passed a bill specifically aimed at Neely, effectively changing her sentence to life without parole. So... There's that. 
Neely filed a lawsuit in 2014, 11 years after the bill that came out about her. And when her 15 year old, when her 15 year period ended, she challenged the 2003 law trying to get probation and a federal judge ruled the law making Neely ineligible for parole was un unconstitutional. So the good news is, is that Kay Ivey, our current governor in Alabama, is not for her release at all. She has said, quote, under no circumstances should Judith Ann Neely be granted parole. Her crimes include acts of unspeakable brutality, end quote. And the other new good news is, I know, right? I was proud of her. <laughs> I was proud. There's, there's a few times you make me proud, Mama. <laughs> a few times, and that was one of them. Go, Mama. Proud of you. <laughs> I couldn't believe it, honestly, whenever I was doing this, this research. <laughs> uh, I was like, you did something good? What? But anyways, the other good news is that if the state of Alabama ever does grant her parole, Judith goes straight to Georgia to be prosecuted for the crimes that she already said she was guilty for. So even if she does get that parole here... She still has to go serve her time in Georgia for the murder of, um, oh my gosh, Janice. We will take that. All right. So that is the end of this crazy case. I do want to follow it up with, there are quite a few episodes on investigation discovery about this couple. You can find an episode on most evil where they were ranked 22nd or 23rd most evil in America, American history. There's also an episode about wicked attraction about them. And there's also an episode from deadly women about them. So I don't know about y'all, but I am in, investigation discovery addict i could watch all episodes all day long and i guarantee you i've watched these episodes they just don't stick out to me but if you ever want to talk about law and order svu <laughs> that stuff is in my brain for life i love my discovery plus oh we that. love discovery oh. plus i watch all the true crime things i watch trash tv yeah you do. 90 day fiance <laughs> but I'm on way. If I'm on Discovery Plus, it's definitely the true crime stuff that I'm watching. We're addicts, which is why we're here with you. And we thank you for joining us on our journey. Thank you for joining us on the Hot Mess Express. Right. And then, I know we need another round of cocktails after this. <laughs> right. Welcome back to another round of Last Call. The first little tidbit I found, which I very, like... When I first discovered it, I was like, hey. And then as I got into it, I was like, oh. <laughs> um, so apparently, physicists um, it, from the National Autonomous University of Mexico found a way to make artificial diamonds out of tequila. What? Yep. But don't get too excited. These diamonds are too small to be put into jewelry. I, I still want one. <laughs> right? I was like, if I don't get a diamond made out of tequila, I don't want it. <laughs> and then I found out that they can't be put into jewelry. And I was like, well, I'll damn. make a coffee table. Top. <laughs> don't tempt me. Right. Um, another fun fact. The most expensive bottle of tequila costs... 
$225,000. Ooh. Chunk um, change, right? If they want to sponsor us, we will be willing to sample that. But otherwise, I never see myself buying that. Right. It's a platinum and white gold tequila bottle made by Tequila Lay, like, $925. I was like, well, that sounds like I'd take a drop like a year <laughs> way out of my league <laughs> yes uh another fun fact during the 1918 spanish flu patients were told to drink tequila with salt and lime to ease their symptoms hey <laughs> that is my kind of medicine right obviously today that's not looked at as a cure unfortunately i will say after my second a COVID shot after my second vaccine shot, I went directly to to, the Mar- to Mexican. That's our tradition. We did that. Now. We did that after each each COVID one. shot. So and I've never had a react. Well, I had a little reaction after the booster, yeah. but I do think there's something to tequila being healing. Yeah. Uh, obviously, that's not a cure today, but it. They have s- said that tequila can help soothe the sore throat. Ease congestion and aid in sleep. I wonder why it aids in sleep. I do sleep better after a margarita. <laughs> exactly. Okay, I got two more little facts. Uh, the men that harvest the agave plants, which tequila is is can only be considered tequila if it is made from oh, what was the percentage? It's like. 80% or something like that. Yeah, agave. That sounds right. They are called <laughs> hemidors. El hemidors. Yes. <laughs> I was like, so that just reminded me of the one of the tequilas we have at work called El Hemidor. So, and one of the little things it said was like, not all heroes wear capes. I was like, amen. <laughs> Uh, the last little fun fact for this last call. So, tequila is meant to be drank at room temperature in order to experience the aroma and flavors properly. And salt and lime is actually a way to mask bad tequila. That was an, a fun fact to learn. I thought that that was like the classic way to take a shot of tequila, but... That's the way to take cheap tequila. Yep. It was a marketing ploy by uh, basically tequila makers if they didn't think their tequila was great. Yeah. So Americans now apparently do it wrong. In Mexico, actually, if you go, it's almost considered rude to do shots. You're supposed to, like, sip it. We know better now. Right? We know better. So... I will say that Trish and I do not take our tequila shots with training wheels. We just take it straight. So we just need to learn how to do the sipping part correctly. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I could really sip it, but I think once we start buying some nicer tequilas. Maybe, maybe. But we'll work on it. <laughs> we'll definitely work on that. Um, again, if you're enjoying this last call segment, let us know. Um be sure to check us out on all of our socials. It's Tequila She Wrote. You got your Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, all that. Um, we're in the process of setting up Patreon. Which is also Tequila She Wrote. Yeah. 
And then we also have our email at wrote at gmail.com. So unless you have anything else to add. No, thanks for joining us today. Thank <laughs> you.